electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Stock surges. Congress says that help is on the way. When? That's still the question. Good evening and welcome to CNBC's continued coverage of markets and the economy in turmoil. I am Brian Sullivan. Well, in a year of firsts, it was another record-breaking day on Wall Street. The Dow soaring 2,112 points. That's its biggest point gain ever and the first time the index has risen more than 2,000. That move translates into an 11.37% gain making it the fourth largest percent jump of all time and the biggest since 1933. All this comes as lawmakers close in on a massive aid package for the American people, a stimulus plan that could ultimately be in the trillions of dollars. We're going to have much more on that coming up. But first, let's get now to the markets and your money on another wild and record-breaking day on Wall Street. We are pleased to kick off the program with famed value investor Bill Nigren. He runs the Oakmark Fund and is CIO of Harris Associates. Bill, we need to hear from you on a night like this. Thank you very much for joining us. Obviously, you just heard Jim saying these were the machines coming in. Do you take any solace in today's rally that some kind of a longer or medium-term bottom may have been found? Well, at Oakmark, we don't consider ourselves experts at market timing. We, we think stocks are really cheap. If you believe, as we do, that the economy is going to eventually recover, as will the P.E. multiples. And uh, I, I do agree with what Jim said of the, the markets are, are not functioning especially well. It's difficult to sell things that you see when they're up. It's hard to buy things when they're down. But stocks are cheap. We think... Uh, as always, investors should take advantage of declining markets to rebalance portfolios, sell some of their bond holdings, buy some equity holdings, and make sure they're as exposed to this asset class as they want to be long term. Is it possible to know, Bill, though, right now what is cheap when we just don't know what any of the metrics, the earnings, anything is going to be? Well, I think. It, this is why it's so important that investors differentiate between what are one-time occurrences and what are the changes in, in long-term estimates. Long-term changes, then you have to think about uh, applying a P.E. multiple to those changes. If you're just talking about something that's a one-time hit, uh, then obviously you know, the multiplier on that is just one. You know, I think of a company that we really like today. You know, we like a lot of the financials, but Ally Financial uh, I was on an interview a few weeks ago, and I was talking about how cheap the stock was at two-thirds times two-thirds of book value. It traded at one-third of book value yesterday. If you take the Fed's adverse, severe, uh, severely adverse uh, stress test scenario, Ally could lose one year's worth of income, but it doesn't damage their capital base. And assuming the market uh, recovers the following year, the economy recovers, it wouldn't affect their long-term earnings. So you'd have maybe a this stock's like a $12 stock. It's got a 30-some dollar book value and uh, supposed to earn about $4 a share. 
they could lose the, those earnings if this lasts more than a quarter or two. But you have to think about the current slump lasting more than a year to think about it being more than a $4 hit to, to business value. And the stock's fallen $20 in the past month. So we think there are a lot of attractive values if, as I said, you believe the economy is eventually going to get better. Or, I guess, Bill, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, or if you believe that all these Fed programs, there are too many acronyms to list, but it's far bigger than 08 and 09, that those are going to backstop credit, loans, banks to the point where you don't really need to know some of these multiples. Would you be a buyer of a J.P. Morgan Chase, a Citigroup, a B of A? Uh, we own City, we own B of A, um, we own Wells Fargo, we own a lot of the banks. We think the banks are very, very cheap. They're in much better shape than they were uh, going into the last recession. And uh, if I went through each stock name by name, the story would be very similar to Ally, that if you think we're dealing with something that could be a two-quarter recession, uh, the banks maybe risk a year's worth of earnings, but not a significant dent into their capital. How much is getting a stimulus plan signed and done going to matter to the equity markets longer term? Well, I think clearly today you saw the market anticipating that that's going to happen. And you know, no company was designed to have zero revenue for an extended period of time. Um, we... We clearly need help to get through uh, however deep this, or not so much how deep the river is. We know it's a deep river. It's how wide the river is. And I think you know, there have been a lot of stories over the past couple of weeks um, about our health care workers in the country and how inspiring they are. Uh, I'm proud of the private sector's response, how the drug companies are dropping everything trying to find a treatment or a vaccine. But it's been frustrating to watch the politicians in both parties who seem more focused on advancing long-term agendas or uh, positioning themselves for upcoming elections than they are in trying to uh, put a package together that revives the economy. It's important that it needs to get done quickly. And on that note, I believe you are still a large holder and were prior to this of Regeneron. Uh, we are a large holder of Regeneron. It's been one of the strongest uh, stocks in the S&P 500. Uh, as everything else in our portfolio has been declining, uh, it, I can't tell you what we've been doing, but it would be fair to think if we acted as we typically did that we've needed to trim that position a little bit. But it's, it's a great business, and you know, this has really shown the advantage that they have uh, with their genetic coding and how far advanced they are. The CEO talks about their mice that are human equivalents and just how much more quickly this can lead to them finding uh, a cure or a vaccine for, for the coronavirus. We're, we're thrilled to, to be investors in Regeneron. All right, Bill Nigren looking out for the long term where certainly value will be found over the course of the years to come. Bill, we appreciate it. Best to you and your family and all of your employees. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Brian. Well, these market moves, of course, come in the backdrop of what we just talked about. Congress furiously trying to work out the final details of what will itself be a record-breaking stimulus plan. There is optimism the Senate is working quickly to get something done. But there are reportedly still some major sticking points, like potential bailouts for pension plans, among other things. Kayla Tausche joining us now from Washington with the latest on where it all stands and if we're going to get a vote and maybe if we're going to get a vote tonight. Kayla. 
Well, Brian, negotiators have been on the two-yard line for going on five hours at this point. Uh, I'm told that the White House expects a deal by the time the sun goes down this evening, but that would be a deal in principle with the legislative text of that deal still needing to be combed through. There are a handful of outstanding issues, but I'm told that none of them are highly contentious. Among things that are currently being discussed, the structure and size of the Federal Reserve's Main Street lending facility. Who qualifies for that and how much will each of these borrowers get. Senator Chuck Schumer is also trying to get more money for states and hospitals to drive up some of the dollar figures in the existing GOP proposal that all of the negotiators are working off of. Even so, Brian, with all of this work still to be done, it is highly unlikely we get a vote tonight. Negotiators and people close to these talks that I am in touch with uh, say that it's more likely that we will see something tomorrow or later in the week as both sides try to drum up support among their members. Uh, as for when the economy could open and when some of this money could start Flowing through. We know those direct cash payments are earmarked by Treasury to be going out on April 6th. And now President Trump suggests that he wants to reopen the economy six days after that, on April 12th or Easter. In an interview on Fox News this afternoon, he explained his rationale a little bit about how he came to that conclusion. He says, Easter is a very special day for me, and I see it's sort of in that timeline that I'm thinking about. And I say, wouldn't it be great to have all of the churches full of people uh, and have the churches full. So I think Easter Sunday and you'll have packed churches all over our country. I think it would be a beautiful time. Well, earlier before he made uh, the decision to float the date of April 12th for economic reopening, he held a call with investors, with the vice president as well, some Wall Street heavyweights ranging from Dan Loeb to Paul Tudor Jones to Steve Schwartzman of Blackstone, getting their assessment of how healthy the markets and the economy are right now and what more the Federal Reserve could do to stabilize those markets and to inject capital into the economy. They discussed their, pro their outlook for the U.S. economy. And President Trump today said that uh, that they're saying that GDP could take a 25 point hit. And it's likely that that room of heavyweights, Brian, is who they are. Kayla Tausche in Washington. Kayla, thank you very much. All right. Now let's bring in Guy Adami and Tim Seymour. And guys, I want to listen to this to highlight just how volatile these markets have been. The 11 largest <laughs> point gains and drops and the four largest or four of the 20 largest percentage moves of all time have now come in just the last three weeks. We are literally rewriting the record books in many ways. Do you believe, Guy Adami, that a stimulus plan will calm these markets at all, or is kind of the expectation already priced in? It'll help. I mean, and, and it's great to be back with you. Yeah, I mean, clearly it will help. And yesterday, on a day where obviously the market had a difficult day, I tried to point out some of the green shoots I saw, and we mentioned the fact that, you know, some of the end discriminant selling was gone, and you saw a recovery in some of the chip names. And, uh, you know, there was, there was some reason for, for optimism. Now, today, on a day where the market's up historic amounts, you know, I want to point out some of the things that gave me concern. Now, you, you bring up this stimulus. That's great. I hope, it gets, I hope it gets pushed through, and I hope they do it in a thoughtful way. But it concerns me that, you know, you saw the VIX go from 52 to 61. As a matter of fact, you know, not that it matters all that much, but I think the volatility index was unchanged today at levels that, you know, are typically unsustainable. That's a bit of a concern, as is some of the things going on in the gold market. But to your point, you know, although this was an extraordinarily encouraging days in terms, in terms of the bounce, you know, we're in for this for a while. So I don't think necessarily that this stimulus package is going to assuage the concerns 
of the market participants. Yeah, Tim, I mean, we go back to the 30s. Let's not. Let's go back to when most of our viewership was involved and interested, which is 2008. And, you, right. you know, we, we had all these percentage big moves in October of 08. The market didn't bottom, of course, until March of 09, four months later, after some gigantic moves to the upside. Do you right. kind of expect the same thing here? No, I, I think this is the timeline here is, is obviously uh, much more compressed. And, you know, you talked about the record moves in markets and what we've seen. How, how about, you know, let's just assume two-yard line. We've been hearing this all day. Um, the reality is this is going to get done. Uh, how about the swiftest, largest uh, policy response in advance of a recession that we've ever seen in history as well? How about a Fed buying $75 billion of bonds every single day this week in addition to the 150 basis point cut at the Fed window, the 100 basis point cut to essentially zero after a 50 interim cut? The, the response has been extraordinary. And the other thing that I think uh, punctuates today's market move is you had CEOs coming forward and, and, and giving you some insight into what's going on in their business. Kevin Johnson on our network talking about uh, the uptick they're already seeing in China. Um, fantastic news. The headlines that Apple expects to open their stores sometime in the first half of April. Fantastic news. Companies coming forward, reaffirming dividends, maybe saying they're cutting CapEx. Not a bad idea. Um, getting some insight into the corporate sector at a time when the policy response is extraordinary, when markets were so oversold, and I'll let you continue with the hyperbole, and I, it, I mean you're, you're accurately putting it uh, in that terms. Um, but if you look at uh, cyclical assets being one to two standard deviations cheap uh, to their historic averages, you get an equation that added up to today um, and, and ultimately right. So what happens tomorrow? Um, I think, first of all, closing above that 23.55 S&P Christmas Eve low was important. We're now 12 percent above uh, that Sunday night E-mini lows uh, on the S&P futures. Uh, and it looks like you see markets that, that could want to take you. You're somewhere in between here and that 26.30, 26.50 level. Um, you know, that's that's where markets are. But but we still got reminders of PMIs yeah. that are probably going to get worse today. Uh, EU composite 31, I think, uh, and U.S. services uh, ISM, not very good. The macro, Brian, ultimately is something that we're also still waiting to see before you have an all clear. And it's not all clear. I want to go back to you, Tim, before I go back to Guy. And, and, Tim, you tweeted out something about Lululemon, which is remarkable. And Lululemon is a good company, <laughs> well-run company. Yeah. They were super popular before all this happened, of course. You noted how the stock has moved 50% up or down in four days. That is right. an insane stat, and it shows that maybe the, the markets are broken, the algos are in charge, to Jim Cramer's point, that these kinds of rallies are not sustainable. What does a move like that in Lulu show you? Well, I, I think, you know, it's easy to blame the algos. Um, let's be clear. Uh, the other places where you've seen these kinds of moves are also in the resources sector. So a free port that did a 50 percent move in three days trough to peak. What, what do those sectors have in common is you have companies uh, that certainly have, have, have debt issues, not necessarily Lulu, um, but certainly Freeport, or at least sectors that the uh, investing community has been punishing for months, even coming into this, because I think there is some, some fear about where companies are going to go. Lulu, which I think is actually kind of best of breed and an opportunity for a lot of mm -hmm. investors to actually be buying a valuation that makes sense in Lulu after kind of scratching their heads for a long time. Is, is a different story. But but that is what you get. And, and as I say all the time on Fast Money, uh, you make the most money when things go from terrible to just bad. Uh, and that's what we've seen over the last couple of days. And certainly the brave have been rewarded. But I don't think you have a nonstop move here. And I, I would caution 
um, that I still think we have some headwinds ahead of us. Yeah, and, and Guy, I mean, it's, it's like we're getting these kinds of moves in a market that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Probably today, toward the end, you got a bunch of shorts being put back on. Again, wouldn't be surprised to see a 1,000-point decline tomorrow. Then the shorts get taken back off. At what point does sort of rational thinking take back control of these markets? Guy Adami, are you there? We have lost Guy Adami. Tim Seymour, I will say goodbye to you as well, Tim. Thank you very much. If we get Guy back on, we'll patch him back in. Thank you. All right, coming up, making America work again, maybe sooner than some people want. The president says he wants to get the American economy back to business by April. Folks, that's April 12th. But are we rushing? The timeline is the coronavirus cases continue to spike. The head of the nation's largest union group will join us ahead, Richard Trumka. Later on, turning a corner. Some potentially promising news out of China on the virus. We'll take you there live with what their timeline may say about ours. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'd love to have it open by Easter. Okay, I would oh, love wow. to have it open okay. by Easter. I will, I will tell you that right now. I would love to have that. It's such an important day for other reasons, but I'll make it an important day for this, too. I would love to have the country opened up and uh, just raring to go by Easter. All right, the president saying that he wants to have the country back up and running within the next 19 days by Easter. His comments come as the number of cases, though, continue to spike. According to Johns Hopkins, there are now 51,500 cases in America. Friday at this time, there were 16,600. So is it realistic to expect that kind of an advanced timeline? Let's get reaction for the nation's largest labor union group. Joining us now is Richard Trumka, president of the AFL-CIO. And the one thing I would also say, and I want to say this to everybody out there anyway, Richard, is, is that when we hear about America working again, I get what they're going for. But let's be clear, millions of Americans are still our staff here is still working. You've got people that are still working, grocery store workers, nurses, doctors. A lot of people are still working. That aside, do you agree with the president's timeline on a macro level? Uh, We do have, Brian, uh, many, many millions of people working to protect the rest of us uh, from mailmen, uh, letter carriers, everybody else. But frontline workers are protecting us. Look, the primary concern of ours has to be the, the protecting the health and the welfare of American citizens. So we need to listen to the healthcare professionals to tell us when we are ready to restart things. Look, the stimulus program is designed as a bridge to get us across this hole uh, to the other side so that we can keep things going while we have things shut down to take care of the healthcare crisis. And any attempt to prematurely restart the government uh, or the economy right now will result in two things. It'll result in more deaths and it'll result in a deeper setback for the government, uh, for the economy, thus negating much of what the stimulus program is designed to prevent. 
So we think that we need to listen to the healthcare professionals. Let them tell us where we need to go and when we need to get there and not let any arbitrary date uh, move us too fast forward and prematurely try to restart uh, the American economy. Fair enough, Richard. But I guess, I guess when you say healthcare professionals, I agree, but I do wonder which ones do we let Dr. Fauci say it's safe as of this? Because there, you know as well as I do, there will be healthcare professionals who will say, yeah, you know, sort of the younger can go back to work in a month, but the, the at risk could stay home. There'll be some who'll say shut it down for six months. Even many of the healthcare professionals are not going to be able to agree on some kind of a firm date. I guarantee you. That's true. But you can have a, a mainline consensus of those healthcare specialists. Uh, the mainline says we should be doing a shutdown. We've all agreed to do that. We need to listen to those professionals. And yeah, there will be some at both extremes, but the mainline will tell us what we should do. And then we can start restarting the, the economy. Because again, a premature restart of the economy is going to result in more deaths and a bigger setback uh, for the economy and actually negate all the good that the stimulus program that's about to be passed is going to do for the economy. You know, our friend Mark Cuban had a, uh, a rather couple expletive-laden tweets, as Mark is wont to do. You could tell he was frustrated today. Basically, Richard saying, listen, let's end the partisanship. You know, basically, the left, you got to stop asking for some, uh, you know, the green rules for the airlines. Well, he didn't mention that specifically. But the progressive agenda and the right, you got to stop asking for bailouts for companies that did buybacks. And I'm summarizing roughly here. Do you feel like, Richard, and I know you talk to people inside the negotiations that we're going to be able to peel off some of those things that'll just provide nothing more than talk, you know, political talk show fodder for the next year and get something done. Well, I, I, unfortunately, Brian, a lot of it was just that. It was talk show fodder. I'm not aware of anybody that was asking for the Green New Deal as a condition for this. What we have said is, if you're going to bail out companies, we do want conditions. We don't want them to be able to do buybacks like they did the last time or give big stock bonuses uh, to their executives. What we want them to do is keep people on the payroll, use it as a pass-through to keep people on the payroll, keep their health care going so we can get on off to the, to the other side. There will be some of those things. Look, we think that pensions ought to be taken care of. Yep. Many, many millions of people depend on pensions. The, the president agrees with us. Nancy Pelosi agrees. Chuck Schumer agrees. The only person that doesn't agree that pensions ought to be part of this. All right. It looks like we may have lost uh, Richard Trumker, the AFL-CIO as well. Listen, everybody's working from home right now. Everybody's all wired up and the kids are on the iPad and playing the Xbox and you're trying to get your job done. We get it. In fact, if we get Richard back, maybe we'll bring him on. Richard, if you can hear me, thank you for coming on. We'll invite you back on soon. In fact, coming up a bit later on in the show, we actually have the CEO of a company maybe you've never heard of, it's publicly traded, that is trying to avoid what just happened by making sure that we are all still connected. All right, coming up, real-world advice in these tumultuous times. Many of you asking probably a very simple question. What should I be doing with my 401k right now? Do I sell into the weakness? Do I buy more? Do I go to cash? We're going to have some answers. And later on, we are headed to the front lines of the work from home economy, the one that we just talked about. Companies trying to keep us connected and keep us from getting hacked. It's a company, maybe a new name for you. And the CEO will join us coming up. Stick around.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. All right, welcome back. Let's get now the very latest developments in the virus pandemic. Sue Herrera back at CNBC HQ with the details. Sue. Hello, Brian. Hello, everyone. Here's what's happening at this hour. We're going to recap the latest numbers on the virus for you. Worldwide cases have risen above 415,000. About 51,000 are here in the United States. An increasing number will be treated in temporary hospitals like this one being built in South Florida. The global death toll is now above 18,500,677 are here in the U.S., some much needed, I should say, ventilators arriving in New York City today. New York State is the U.S. epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak with nearly 25,000 cases. And that number has been doubling every three days. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio says thousands more ventilators are needed. This is life and death. This is not, you know, sometimes people use words that are too dramatic. This is not too dramatic. This is to blunt truth. It's life and death. We need these, and we need them immediately. And the Summer Olympic Games have been put off until 2021. It is the first time the modern Olympic Games have been delayed in their 124-year history. Many questions remain, including who will pay for that postponement. As always, you can get more on the coronavirus coverage here at CNBC by going to CNBC.com. I'll send it back downtown to you, Brian. Sue, I can't tell you when, when I look forward to seeing you again in person. I don't know when that time will be. I know. We are, we are the ultimate in social distancing, which we really are. everybody lunch, has to observe. Lunch on me. Sue Herrera, thank you very you much. It. All right. Well, CNBC's continued coverage of the markets and turmoil continues. And today, the turmoil was to the upside. Yeah, it can be both ways, folks. Stocks surging on hopes of Congress will soon, maybe tonight, pass that massive $2 trillion stimulus package. The Dow rising 2,112 points. The biggest point gain on record, the fourth biggest percentage gain on record. Let's talk more now about this big move higher and the markets going forward. Joining us now, Mike Wilson, chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. Mike, thank you very much for joining us. What advice are you giving your clients at Morgan Stanley right now in these incredibly tumultuous markets? Well, the first one is, you know, don't panic. I mean, you know, volatility is extreme right now and trying to trade you know, this kind of volatility is probably not advisable for most of our clients um, on the retail side, for sure. On the institutional side, depending on the client, you know, opportunities are available every day. Uh, the volatility creates really good opportunities, so it depends on the client. But, look, the bottom line here is that we have been in a bear market for several years. You know, we've said this before. We think that this is the finishing move to a two-year bear market. You know, uh, we've made the call that, basically, bear markets end with a recession, right? So, 
it doesn't mean that the lows are definitely in or that we're not going to chop around. It's going to remain volatile because we're in a bad economic event now with a lot of uncertainty. But we have to recognize, Brian, that you know markets have been trading very defensively for the better part of two years. And notwithstanding the fourth quarter rally, which was very much liquidity induced and people were chasing around, I mean, you know, this is, this is you know, kind of fits with that. Of course, the coronavirus combined with, you know, a oil price collapse, which has really infected the credit markets, has made this a recession that is somewhat unprecedented in terms of its speed and depth that we're seeing. But, of course, that's going to now invoke policy response that's also unprecedented. And we've already seen that from the Fed, which is incredible what they're doing uh, in terms of the size and, and, and now acting in credit markets directly. And now we're waiting on this bill, of course, which – you know, it's just a matter of size and, and timing, but we think it'll be uh, fairly soon this week. So I think, you know, markets are properly, you know, have properly discounted the recession quickly. Mm-hmm. It's now trying to figure out, you know, are these good values? We think they are. We've been telling our clients for the last two weeks to start averaging in. And we think the lows are, you know, pretty much in for 90% of the stocks. 90% uh, of the stocks. I got a text from a uh, hedge fund manager today basically suggesting that when, when the data begins to roll over in a positive way in Spain, we start to see Spain start to roll over. That gives us our path forward here, perhaps, and that's when the markets ultimately buy. Let's hope that is sooner than later. Would you agree with the basic thesis of that? Well, I mean, that's part of it. I don't think you can point to any one metric. I mean, I could tell you that I thought when the credit market stabilized that that was the most important metric, okay? And that happened on Monday when the Fed injected themselves into the credit markets directly. So. I think it's a series of things. I think it's the credit markets first. Funding in credit markets had to stabilize. That's happening. That's good. Volatility is coming down. That's good. The virus, uh, you know, flattening out in Europe is obviously important, which people then believe it could happen here ultimately. And and then and then I think it's just a matter of confidence, Brian. People have to get their confidence back um, because it's been shattered here, and that's what recessions do to people, uh, both in terms of their behavior, in terms of what they're doing with their pocketbook, and what they're doing with their investment funds. So. You know, these always take a little bit of time. There'll be some testing, retesting, back and filling. Um, and we think you know, this, this is the perfect time for real money, asset owner type clients to put money to work over the course of the next month. Is there any spot of the market right now you're advising just completely avoid at all costs still? Well, I think that what you have to be careful about in these types of situations is there are going to be a lot of bankruptcies, right? There are going to be uh, a lot of defaults. That's what happens in a recession. So, we are telling clients, be a little bit careful with over-levered situations. Uh, you know, you, you don't need to be a hero here and try and buy the, the junkiest stuff out there. Although there is going to be a cyclical component to this recovery, you need to be you know, vigilant about making sure that the balance sheets are good enough for the company to actually survive what is going to be a recession. And when we look at the market data, Thursday, Mike, I would imagine we could have a jobless claims number that could be over a million people. Let's hope not, but there's estimates that it could be as high as 2 million people. Numbers we have never seen. We're going to have economic reports that in the next couple of weeks, and this is not hyperbole TV stuff, are going to be so bad looking on their face that it will rewrite the economic record books. But do we look at all at any of these numbers? Are there any numbers that are still sort of valid at this point right now? Well, the, the recent historical numbers are all stale, as you know. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to what I was saying earlier, is that this is, this is going to be a historic recession in terms of how fast we get to the end point, meaning let's just talk about the unemployment number, which is critical. Right? You can't have a recession without an unemployment rate going up. So we're going to have 
unemployment probably uh, go from 3.5% to something like 7 8% overnight. And usually it takes about two years for that unemployment cycle to play out. This time it's going to happen in a month. So it's going to be, you know, it's kind of a terrorizing type number that we're going to see on Thursday. The good news is that people are now talking about it. It's known. And in some ways, you know, it, it's kind of shock value. It can actually help people understand mm-hmm. that this is where we're going. We're already there. We've arrived. And here, think about this, Brian. You know, when companies start, you know, controlling costs, that's usually the beginning of the end, right? And I started this conversation out by saying that bear markets end with a recession. Why is that? Because that's when companies control costs and they start protecting margins. In this particular yeah. case, the government is also going to help with unemployment insurance and a fiscal stimulus. So in many ways, this, as an investor, you know, I'm saying, hey, look, the, the government is kind of intervening here in a way which is taking some risk away from the shareholders and it's shifting it back to the Fed's balance sheet and the government's balance sheet as they help out with stimulus. Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley. Mike, we appreciate your time. Got to drop off here because we got some breaking news from the Federal Reserve. For that, let's go to Mr. Steve Leisman. Steve. Brian, thank you. Uh, the Federal Reserve out with an announcement saying it's going to be reducing bank examinations, especially for small banks. This is an interesting area here where there have been questions about whether the Fed needs to provide some reliefs to banks in the wake of the Dodd-Frank era. So they're saying the Fed will grant additional time to banks to uh, resolve non-critical supervisory issues. However, one place that's not getting relief is the Fed is still requiring the biggest banks to submit their capital plans for the stress test. There's been a debate. One idea has been, hey, you know what? In these times, you don't have to stress test the banks. They're being stress tested right now. Another side to that coin is go back in the Wayback Machine to 2009 when the stress test was a huge thing that showed the markets the banks had enough capital. So there are some banks, we're told, that actually want to have this stress test to show they're in good shape. There's still other things we're waiting the Fed might be able to do in terms of relief of capital requirements, relief of liquidity requirements. So far, the Fed has generally held the line on those, Brian. But this is the first thing where they're saying we're going to ease off on some examinations temporarily and provide some relief in the supervisory realm. They've already said they're not necessarily going to they're not going to look down on banks who are working with their borrowers. And you can take your restructured loans to the window at the Fed, Brian. Yeah, and I, and I wonder if there's probably some relieved bank examiners, assuming there are still physical exams going forward. Steve, that's got to play a, a big part good in point. that, right? I mean, the, the physical exam that's is... A, that's another point. Yeah, you're not the, coming for, in to examine sure, the bank. Yeah, I, By the way, don't come anywhere. Yeah, Steve Leisman, thank you very much. Been in the tie since 5.30 this pleasure. morning, brother, and we like you for it. Thank you. All right, now, let's talk about the markets and your money, because, again, many of you probably have avoided opening up your retirement accounts, your 401k. Maybe a good strategy because it's probably not going to look so hot. But what do you do now? Let's bring in Steve Grasso of Stuart Frankel, who joins us now also remotely because, as we know, the floor of the NYC is also shuttered temporarily. Steve, if you know, is there any advice you can give to people that are probably afraid to open up that, that Internet link and see their account balance? What should they be doing right now? Uh, it, you know, Brian, I think you gave some good advice starting off there. Maybe you don't want to open it up just yet. I think that these types of sell-offs that we've seen, I'm not calling for a hockey stick recovery, but I, I don't think that you can judge where we're going from where we came from. So what I mean by that is if you own good companies, you know these companies are going to be around in, in two years, three years, four years. 
then just stay the course. If you own Apple or if you own Microsoft, or if you own all these other blue chip companies, just stay the course. They're going to be higher then than they are now. That's number one. Number two, if you own stuff that you're worried about that took the biggest hit, that's down 30 40% from their recent tops, they're most likely going to get a bailout. This type of bailout seems like if you ask, you get. And we're looking at $2 trillion, Brian. It's going, this is not the first and last bailout. There's going to be multiple $2 trillion bailouts. So for me, if you own an energy company, that, that's a problem that you've known about forever, the oversupply. Uh, you know, it's always supply-demand, the under-demand and the oversupply. But if you own these chemical names, some of these names actually make bleach, and they're still down because they're cyclicals. So if you own an energy name, maybe you have mm-hmm. some, uh, some headwinds yet, but the other names are going to be bailed out, those, those vacation names, the travel names, et cetera. I want to talk about something that we have been talking about for a couple of weeks on this program, Steve, which is these bond ETFs. I wrote about it on March 12th. We've talked about it on the show. LQD, VCIT, CORP, BND. You know these tickers. We never talk about them on Fast Money because they're bond ETFs. They're supposed to be boring. Well, guess what? They haven't been boring. Many were way below their power, their net asset value, because bonds are not liquid. ETFs are. The Fed effectively bailing out bond ETFs as well today, did it not? I I would say that the Fed, talking about what the Fed's buying, it's it's, you're better off talking about what the Fed's not buying. The the Fed is buying U.S. Treasuries, corporate bonds, municipal bonds, mortgage-backed securities. And to your point, the LQD, if you look at it on a chart, spiked up on on the news. And you always want to be, if we've learned anything from the financial crisis, is you want to buy what the Fed's buying, right? So... LQD, what's the top holding of the LQDs? It's banks. It's pharma. But it's banks by a long shot because they're making sure that liquidity, for anyone who wants to raise money, they're able to do so. And this, for them, seems like the fairest way to do it. And both the VCIT and the LQD, banks are number one by a long shot in the allocations within those funds, within the ETFs. So basically, they they bailed out the credit markets, which bailed out the banks, which then bailed out some of these bond ETFs. Does it shift at all the way we think about investing going forward here, Steve? All these things, so many, and I'm not picking on any of these ETFs. I've been yapping about it for a year. We've been talking about how all these things with cute tickers were created in the last 12 months or or five years, whatever it is. Is this going to clean things up longer term, you think? Or are we just going to go back to the same way things were six months ago? I think that's a great point. I think when you buy these ETFs, you have to look at, at the, the assets that they're holding, what they're invested in, what the liquidity is, Brian, is of the utmost uh, importance. Because if you get into these things, you want to be able to get out. When you're looking at the names to buy, though, make sure they're from a reputable uh, fund and make sure that you're just not buying one that started last week. Make sure okay, Steve, I got to my friend, I got to cut you off because the president is stepping to the podium at the White House task coronavirus task force. Let's and listen in. Encourage everyone to keep following our guidelines on social distancing, avoiding large gatherings and hand washing and all of the other things that everybody knows they're supposed to be doing. Ultimately, the goal is to ease the guidelines and open things up. 
to very large sections of our country as we near the end of our historic battle with the invisible enemy. We'll go on for a while, but we win. We win. I said earlier today that I hope we can do this by Easter. I think that would be a great thing for our country, and we're all working very hard to make that a reality. We'll be meeting with a lot of people to see if it can be done. Easter is a very special day for many reasons. For me, for a lot of, a lot of our friends, that's a very special day. And what a great timeline this would be. Easter is our timeline. What a great timeline that would be. My first priority is always the health and safety of the American people. I want everyone to understand that we are continuing to evaluate the data. We're working with the task force and making decisions based on what is best for the interest of our fantastic country. In order to defeat the virus, we must continue to be very strong. Your resilience and spirit has been inspiring to everyone. Right now, this virus is attacking 149 countries, but everybody looks to us and they're watching us. And I'm very proud to be your president. I can tell you that. There's tremendous hope as we look forward and we begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Stay focused and stay strong, and my administration and myself will deliver for you as we have in the past. Let me provide you an update on critical preparations and supplies in our war on the virus. Through FEMA, the federal government is distributing more than 8 million N95 respirators, 14 million surgical masks, and many, many millions more under order and they'll be arriving soon. 2.4 million face shields, 1.9 million surgical gowns, 13.5 million gloves, and more than 4,000 ventilators to the areas of greatest need have already been sent, and we have 4,000 being delivered to New York. The federal government is using every resource at its disposal to acquire and distribute critical medical supplies. The core element of this strategy is my executive order authorizing the use of the Defense Production Act, which has, as you know, already been activated actually a long time ago, quite a long time ago. Private companies are heeding our call to produce medical equipment and supplies because they know that we will not hesitate to invoke the DPA in order to get them to do what they have to do. It's called leverage. You don't have to use it from the standpoint of actually it's been activated, but you don't have to use it. But the threat of it being there is great leverage, and companies are doing as we ask, and companies are actually even better than that. They're coming through, and they're calling us. And uh, it's been really something to see uh, this morning. Ford 3M, General Electric Healthcare, uh, are making tremendous numbers. They've already started of respirators, ventilators, and face shields. They're working together. We didn't have to exercise or utilize the DPA in any way. The fact that we have it helps, but we didn't have to. And for the most part, we won't have to. We're receiving full cooperation from companies with the understanding that the federal government stands ready to compel cooperation if need be. We haven't found that to be the case. 
It's uh, been really amazing to see these big, strong, powerful, in some cases, very small companies, family-owned companies, step up and make a lot of great product for what we're going through and what we will continue to be going through for a while. The Army Corps of Engineers and the National Guard are building four hospital facilities in New York City at the Javits Center, which will be operational very soon. They've already started. In addition, they're building four separate medical facilities in different parts of the state. Uh, we're dealing with Governor Cuomo on that. So you're going to have four hospitals and four medical facilities at the highest level, too. Really incredible facilities. Temporary, but incredible. We're also deploying the U.S. Navy hospital ship, and that will be arriving in New York Harbor in the not-too-distant future. It's uh, finishing its uh, maintenance. They're doing a very big maintenance, and what we did is we condensed it very seriously. And as you know, the other hospital ship, and these are incredible ships, uh, it's already on its way to Los Angeles. So we're in frequent contact with state and local officials and getting a lot of work done. We're likewise building hospitals in Los Angeles. We're working also the state of Washington. We're working with the governor of the state of New Jersey, we're building a medical facility, a hospital facility, and doing a lot of work. I want to thank the people from FEMA, the great people from FEMA, and also the Army Corps of Engineers. Secretary Mnuchin and the members of my administration continue to work closely with Congress. I'm pleased to report that we are working to pass the biggest and boldest financial relief package in American history. Senators will soon hopefully vote on a $2 trillion bill that will deliver direct cash payments to struggling Americans. No fault of their own. This came out of nowhere. Nobody can imagine this even happened. But it's not their fault. We want to protect, and we will, all of the things that a person needs protected and a family needs protected. We're working on job retention loans for small businesses and extended unemployment insurance for laid-off workers. The legislation will also include billions of dollars for additional resources for our — and really heroic — these are incredible — doctors, nurses, brave and hospitals, as well as support for hard-hit industries such as the airline industry and the cruise ship industry, which employ tremendous amounts of people and obviously serve very important functions beyond that, with very tough protections for the American taxpayer. The loans will be very secure, and they will be very profitable, and at the same time, they'll bridge — they call them bridge loans in many cases — they'll be bridging uh, these companies back into very good health. And some of them are very important companies that four weeks ago didn't have a problem. I'm also confident that the Democrats will do the right thing. I feel very confident they're working very hard together right now, Republicans and Democrats, and they're getting very close to a very fair deal and a great deal for the people of our country. Today, as you probably saw, the Dow surged over 2,100 points. at the all-time record history of the exchange. This is very encouraging, and I think part of the reason is they are looking at what is close to being passed, and I think a very big part of it is they see that we want to get our country open as soon as possible. They see we're working very hard on that. That's a very big factor, I think, in 
today's uh, historic gain. The legislation developed in the Senate is the first step to restoring confidence and stability to America's economy as we look ahead to the time when we can carefully and responsibly reopen our country for business, and we hope that's going to be very soon. I want to assure Americans that we have a team of public health experts. You've gotten to know them as well as I know them. They're great people. All right, we're going to bop out of the president there. The president reiterating what he said earlier today about his timeline, hoping to reopen parts of the American economy by Easter, which would be Anthony, uh, April 12th. By the way, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who had been missing from a number of previous uh, press conferences, uh, was behind the president there. So perhaps some folks uh, taking comfort from the medical side on that. By the way, more headlines, any headlines on the economy, the markets, whatever that the president makes. Of course, you can hear them all tonight in our Markets and Turmoil special, 7 p.m. Eastern time on a day where the Dow rose, 2,112 points. Well, meantime, the number of coronavirus cases continues to grow worldwide. But there are some glimmers of hope that are beginning to appear in China. Eunice Yun, of course, has been living and reporting through all of this and is here to tell you what life is really like there two months after much of the country went on lockdown. Eunice, it's good to see you. What is life like there in Beijing for you now? Well, it's actually getting much better, Brian. So uh, later today, the most affected province in China from the coronavirus, Hubei, is going to ease travel restrictions. Another province is supposed to reopen some of its schools. And then uh, travelers are going to be able to, to start traveling on the trains again uh, for half the price because the government here wants to encourage people to start uh, consuming again. Now, it's taken, as you has pointed out, two months for China to get to this point. Uh, Wuhan, which ends its lockdown in two weeks, uh, went into lockdown on January 23rd. And then on February 17th, the cases peaked here and only petered out about three and a half weeks later. So based on China's progress, if you look at uh, the U.S., uh, the U.S. should see its overall cases peak in mid-April with cases falling into single digits by early May. Since the U.S. is starting to put some of the travel uh, travel restrictions and movement restrictions on uh, right around now. However, of course, as you are well aware, uh, the countries are very different. And I, I see two uh, major points, that big ifs, um, um, as to uh, the U.S.'s level of progression. And one is that China centralized, eventually, all of its confirmed cases into designated hospitals and then also put all of its suspected cases into centralized quarantine. And the U.S. has been much looser with its restrictions. So that could potentially mean that the peak uh, for cases in the U.S. would be farther out. And also in the U.S., there seems to be even greater pressure to get everyone back to work compared to China. Uh, And so that could potentially shorten the time when people would start going back to work. But then again, there, there is a, a, you know, of course, that's always good for people to go back to work. So very, but then it Eunice, very quickly, we, we've looked at, we got Stephen um, Roche waiting. So I want to pop in on you. I apologize. We've looked at this traffic data and it shows that like Monday to Friday, there's a lot going on. But Saturday and Sunday, the traffic doesn't look very heavy. Are people going out to restaurants? Are they, are they back to socializing again? Yeah, they are. Uh, and in fact, I did last weekend. Um, it was well the deserved. first time that I had gone 
I, I went and had lunch. I had Sunday brunch with two other people because we're only allowed to have three people at a table. Um, but uh, just to give you a sense of the uh, nervousness, I told my producer that um, I was, you know, I had gone out, got, gone out for Sunday brunch, and uh, she told me she was, uh, you know, wasn't so sure she wanted to see me in the office later. Well, at least, hey, it's a start. So still a bit of trauma big table, going on. Three of you. Eunice, you've been a blessing. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. All right, now let's bring in Stephen Roche, a senior fellow at Yale University's Jackson Institute for Global Affairs and former chairman of Morgan Stanley Asia. Easter, Stephen, for us? Sounds good, Brian. It's pretty risky. Eunice just gave you a perfect scenario for a country that uh, is much, much tougher um, at um, you know, containment than, than, than we are, and it took two months, and for us to do it in three weeks, I think, is um, highly dubious and entails great risk. No one wants to take uh, our economy down, but, you know, we, you don't want to open things up prematurely and make things worse either. So it's a, it's a delicate trade-off, but I think we have to err on the, the side of caution as underscored by the medical profession yeah. rather than by the politician. But, but you... Maybe agree, Stephen, that there will ultimately be a trade-off. It will never be a day where there's no cases. I mean, Hong Kong still has cases growing, and they're trying to, you know, sort of not reopen but but keep open, if you will. There will never be the perfect time. No, I I totally agree with you. I mean, uh, but the judgment that needs to be made, Brian, is when does the risk-reward tip in a way that allows us to resume um, some semblance of economic activity and three to four weeks relative to the two-month trajectory in China is is worrisome. And I think, um, you know, we certainly don't want to incur massive economic carnage as we wait for, as you said correctly, the perfect trade-off because it will never occur. But we don't want to move in a way that is premature and... Um, uh, that, that ushers in uh, a, a major setback in our recovery efforts. And this is going to come from the states. I mean, a lot of people talk about, you know, obviously no disrespect to the federal government, but these are statewide decisions. As far as I know, I, I mean, I'm not at Yale, Stephen, but we are a federalist republic the last time I checked. I mean, ultimately the states are going to have to make the calls. I think, you know, the states, uh, city. Society in in, in in many respects, um, and I actually I just finished my first experience teaching uh, twenty uh, bright young students online at Yale, and the discussion today was uh, fragmentation in Europe. Does the uh, European Economic Union uh, survive this shock? And they they made that point that um, the fragmentation potential fragmentation of the eurozone is playing out real time with the potential fragmentation of the United States of America. And um, it's an interesting uh, and important comparison. It certainly is. By the way, very quickly, Thursday, Canada had a million, almost a million jobless claims today. Their workforce is tiny compared to ours. Could we have a couple million people applying for jobless benefits when we get the data Thursday morning? Well, my old company, uh, and you just talked to Mike Wilson, is looking for over three million Goldman Sachs is looking for two, so, you know, split the difference. Uh, yeah, we could have a big number, but, uh, you know, the markets are hopefully uh, anticipating that, uh, and uh, that certainly didn't stop 
a mega bounce today. The question is, can it be sustained? And we're going to see a lot, a lot of bad numbers after uh, this. Thursday. We certainly will. Stephen Roche, always a pleasure to get your view. Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in. Thanks to our staff, by the way, for doing what you do. Jim and Mad Money pick up the coverage right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.